when when you let go of your mind-centered um, certainty that I know and I'm right and you're wrong and sit down, you know, when you get rid of that intellectual knowing um, and say, you know, I really don't know, then 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 we're we're kind of open. We're ready to tap into that thing that's deeper inside of us, that that's more eternal, that's a deeper wisdom, that's a deeper knowing uh, that we can tap into. Friends, welcome back to the podcast, the What If Project podcast, not just any podcast, uh, but the What If Project podcast. This is episode number 98, and it's part number three of our series, Books My Friends Wrote. And uh, today we're sitting down with repeat guest Carl Forehand uh, to talk about a brand new book he has coming out called The Tea Shop. So more on that in just a few moments. Uh, But first, a few things. Number one, this past weekend, uh, it was nice and warm here uh, in the North Carolina area. And so we got the pool out for Jordan. We have this blow-up pool. And uh, we filled it up, and she was so excited. Like, she got in it, and she was clapping, and she was yelling, it's summertime. And, uh, man, the joy that was coming out of this child was, like, amazing. And then uh, tonight... Uh, before bedtime, her bedtime is 8.30, and at like 8.20, I was still chasing her around the pool. She was then chasing me. She was giggling, laughing. I was shooting her with the hose, and we were just having a grand old time. So it has been a fun uh, a fun day, a fun-filled day here at the Seaport House. I hope that you all are having a wonderful day or a wonderful uh, week or whatever it is for you. I hope that things are going well in the midst of all of the stuff going on in the world with COVID-19 and all the things. Um, I hope and I pray that you have been able to find some joy and some things to smile about in the midst of all of it, because I know that those things can be easily overshadowed by the bigger, monstrous things that seem to be uh, coming at us in the world today. Uh, I also wanted to let you know that On Patreon, I have added a brand new tier that I'm really excited about. Uh, Every tier gets its own reward on Patreon. So Patreon is a place where you can go to support the show financially. There's a bunch of different tiers. Every tier gets a reward. Uh, I added a $12 tier. So $12 a month gets you um, a couple of things. But the biggest thing is access to a Marco Polo Group. So Marco Polo is an app that you can download on your phone. And basically, it's like a video chat app. So uh, I can leave a video and then somebody else in the group, you watch it and then maybe you have something to say. So you leave a video. And it's almost like we can chat using video whenever it is that we're available. Like I might not be able to see your video right away because I might be busy, but it saves it so I can watch it later and I can respond or uh, while you're doing your video live, if I'm available, I can watch you doing it live. Like It's pretty cool. So you get access to this, this group on Marco Polo. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to invite some of our podcast guests into the group as well so that you and I can video chat with them. So we can, we can video chat every day uh, throughout the day. We can talk about our days, our life, our job, our family, uh, questions we have about our faith, things we're wrestling with, resources that we've we've discovered. We can share those all with each other in the group. Um, and then I'll bring in podcast guests once in a while. So if you have a question for them uh, after listening to the show, you you can ask them your, your question and they'll most likely respond if they're willing to come in and be part of it. So like I'd like to get, for instance, like in the fall, I have Brian McLaren coming on. It would be pretty wild if Brian McLaren would say, yeah, I'll hop in the Marco Polo app. I haven't asked him yet, so I don't know if he would. I'm just using that as an example. But it would be cool if the podcast guests could come in and join us and answer some questions and kind of dialogue with us. I think that would be really wild. So $12 a month gets you access to that. Um, If you're already a patron and uh, you are giving, you're on one of the tiers that is higher than $12, 
you will automatically get put into that. So you will be hearing from me if you haven't already uh, with a link to download the app and also a link uh, to the group. So patreon.com slash what if project is a place where you can go to find all of those things. Uh, also, the Heretic Shop is a place where you can go to, to buy some swag. Uh, we have t-shirts, we have hoodies, we have stickers, we have all sorts of things. I'll put the link to that in the show notes um, as well as the Patreon link and a link to our uh, closed Facebook group as well. Our special music today is from my friend DJ KDOT. Uh, we work together at the Apple Store. Um, I've mentioned her in the past. I, I throw her music on here all the time, but she is somebody who is really using her gifts to do good things in the world. Uh, she's one of the most encouraging people in our store. I've worked for Apple for 10 years. She's probably one of the most encouraging teammates I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Uh, she has such a good spirit, such a good heart, such a good soul, and uh, she throws all of that into her music and does really, really good work. So I'll put all the links to that in the show notes as well. Uh, listen to her music, download it, share it, do all of the things. So that said, once again, this is episode number 98, and it's my conversation with the man, the myth, and the legend, Carl Forehand. Enjoy. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words, cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you get me, you get me, you get me feeling right. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we are sitting down with a returning guest, Carl Forehand. Talk to us about his brand new book that's coming out called The Tea Shop, which is an exploration of sorts into the heart of mysticism and mystical Christianity. So Carl, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, Carl, before we jump into our discussion, uh, catch us up to speed. What's been going on in the life of Carl Forehand since we talked in January? And also for our listeners, uh, Carl and I are recording this episode in April of 2020. And so we are in the middle of COVID-19, the pandemic. Uh, so, Carl, how are you? Uh, how is your family? How is your community? Uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, I've been doing good. i I worked for about a year probably as a, you know, I took some time off and I wrote the first book, Apparent Faith, and just trying to trying to get reset for the second half of my life, you know. Mm. And um, so last year, all of last year, I worked in a manual job um, at a kind of a Lowe's hardware thing. Well, not kind of, that's what it was. But doing real physical work was different for me. It was uh, probably good for me. But also it gave me a lot of time to think. Um, the first book, I wrote a chapter about a tea shop, about an experience I had uh, almost a couple of years ago now in a tea shop. And I, I fleshed that out during some of that time and was mm -hmm. able to look at the lessons that I learned in that. So I wrote another book and then um, went to train recently at, for a nuclear job. And during that training, I wrote another book. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, uh, it's been a lot of that, that uh, I'm not wrapped up in a career or anything like that. But so I've had a lot of time to be uh, alone and, and frankly, just to be, you know, without uh, career objectives and things like that. But, but a lot of time to think and a lot of time to, to process my deconstruction, start moving back towards putting pieces back together. Mm. And, um, just to think. I like that. When do you find that you do most of your writing? Are you like a morning writer, evening, whenever, whenever you get to it kind of thing? Or what's your, what's your best time for writing? I am, I'm mostly a morning thinker and a morning writer. I've, I've never been, you know, even back in evangelical Christianity and so on. I never did the quiet time thing. Um, but now that, that everything is more you know, meditation and, and things like that. It works well in the morning for me. Mm. And my drive to work uh, is the time when I do a lot of thinking, a lot of listening to podcasts and things like that. But yeah, when I write, 
usually it's 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 in the morning before everybody else wakes up and i can hear the birds outside but the rest of the world is still sleeping i love that time yeah and you said before we hit record i love what you mentioned that you know you do your writing primarily for yourself mm-hmm. and it gives you it gives you life and i think that's such a good thing to when you do something that you put out into the public world like that and you for many eyes to read uh, the first and foremost is it brings you passion. I think that's great. You know, most of the most writers say writing helps me know what I think. Yeah, I've probably heard a dozen writers say that 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 writing helps me know what I think. So I sit down, I have some ideas, but then when I write, it comes out, it, and it's 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 almost too fast to think through it. Yeah, but it's your it's your heart pouring out there. It's amazing how many times, right after I write, I always read it back to Laura. And it's amazing how many times I'll tear up mm. towards the end of it because it's really my heart. Yeah. And, and I, I love that process. I like that. When I was in seminary, um, sometimes the professor would give us a choice to either have like a multiple choice kind of exam or short answers or write like a 15-page a paper to sum mm-hmm. up the semester. And I always chose the paper and mm-hmm. people thought I was crazy because well, paper takes so much more time than just, you know, answering some questions. And I was like, I just feel like I get my ideas out much better. And I feel like what I learned comes across so much better from able to write it down. So I've yeah. always had a passion for that as, as well. So uh, when I get ready to write my book, uh, your door is one I will be knocking on for some, some pointers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your book that we're going to talk about is called the tea shop. Uh, like you said, and so maybe give us first a drive-by summary of the book. Like, what's it about? What audience are you aiming for? Like, who is this book for? Why should somebody go out and, and pick it up? Yeah, first, the first thing is that everybody that's read my first book, Apparent Faith, when I say, well, what, what do you like the most? And they always say, well, there's that chapter right in the middle. That tea shop chapter. About that tea <laughs> shop. And I really like that. Um, mm. So that helped. But, but really, I wrote the book before I got a lot of that feedback because in the end of that chapter, I said there were some things about that night that I wanted to, to ponder. And eventually I did about six months later, I got to sit down and, and to think about it. Well, the tea shop was, we had gone to Taiwan. I'd been there once before to visit my son. My son is, my son lives there and teaches English. He's probably going to stay there. That's his home now. He loves it. And, and Taiwan is, a, um, you know, is, is free China is what they call it. Mm. It's, a, it's a place that, that has very little crime. It's, it's fabulous people. We lo- I loved it the first time I was there. So when I went back with my wife, we had been through a, a thing called a breakthrough, a little thing that uh, kind of gets you to the root of some of your issues. And one of the things I, I, I thought about in that, immersive experience that I went through was that I want to be adventurous. I know that deep down I'm that adventurous, playful type of guy. I'm kind of introverted, but I like, I like adventure. So we kind of scheduled out or I kind of scheduled out some stuff. I said, let's go down south. There's a gorge, uh, Taroko Gorge there that's beautiful. And my son had been there, so he was going to take us there. And we rented scooters. We we're going to kind of take the scooters and do the adventure that way. And so my, my wife and I headed out on that. But as we were warming up and kind of getting used to the scooters, I had a scooter accident mm. where I kind of just went flying over the front of the handlebars. And we're, here we are in a foreign country. I'm injured and my son took real good care of me. But it kind of shut down the adventure, mm. right? This adventure that I had planned. And, and that's, that's a little bit of the point of the whole book is that, that adventures can't really be planned. And mm-hmm. so it, it, it cuts short our time down on the south end of the island. It's less populated. It's uh, more adventurous like that. And we went back to the north where my son lives, where our, our guide that's always there uh, lives. And we were just, che- we had been out to dinner and we we're checking into a motel and my Laura said, I'd like to have a teapot or something like that to give to the, to the girls, my daughters. 
And so Tanya, our host, took us to a tea shop and we walked in and my idea was like Walmart, right? Get in, get out, right. find a teapot. I know what I want, just grab it. <laughs> I'm tired, you know, it's been a long day. And so we identified the pots pretty soon and they helped us. There were several guys there, what's this owner of the tea shop? But so, but the, the owner of the tea shop says, you know, okay, we made a deal on the price. Tanya helped us negotiate the price and he says, sit down. And so we didn't really have a choice, but to sit down. So we sit down and he, he began to make us tea. And when they make tea there, it's like a little ceremony kind of thing. It's a deal, you know, it's not just right, a big ordeal, <laughs> not just put a, put some tea in a cup and we'll see you later. It's right. It's, we're going to go through this thing. And I learned that earlier with this, this chiropractor named Dr. Happy. And that's a whole nother story, but <laughs> he, he did the same thing. I went for an adjustment and my back was hurting a little bit. And he said, so now let's, let's talk as best we can. Well, this guy said, sit down and he started braiding and, a little rope onto the teapot that connected it to the lid so the lid wouldn't fall off and get lost, you know. And he did that for all three teapots that we bought. And as he was doing this, he he would just kind of stop every once in a while and he'd get up and go like get us some sunflower seeds or something that he had that he thought we'd like. Because, mm. you know, where we were from, he brought uh, sunflower seeds and peanuts and then he found out we were vegetarian, so he he brought us, um, he said, we're making dinner, just have some dinner with us. And so he served us tofu. It was just an eclectic kind of all different kinds of tofu. It was awesome. <laughs> and uh, then he he would keep trying to to make us happy. But then he started mm -hmm. explaining his his practice, his yoga practice. He's shown us how flexible he was and he um, explained it all to us. And the interpreter was telling us what he was saying and so on. But, you know, as the night wears on, it was like an hour and a half or two hours total. As the night wears on, it's just like you you get more and more touched by someone like that. He, he wrote mm -hmm. some characters out and I said, you know, what are those characters you write? And he said, well, it's, it's, and it's hard to explain. And I said, well, is it about us? And he said, yeah, it's about you. Hmm. And I, you know, every time something like that happens, you get, it just kind of goes a little deeper and I got a little more touched and I, I'm starting to like kind of tear up hmm. through this night and realize that um, this guy didn't really have a motive. You know, he already had our money. He had secured the deal. He, we gave him our money for the teapots he didn't owe us anything, but he was loving us hmm. in, 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 a, in a real basic, genuine kind of way hmm. that, that, you know, my wife, I looked over a couple of times at my wife, and my son, they were just mesmerized hmm. by this guy who he's probably a Buddhist, you know, but neither one of us talked religion that night. You know, we never said, this is what I believe. What mm -hmm. do you believe? It, it, there was none of that talk. It was just all, I would call it delight yeah. in each other. Mm -hmm. And that, that we were uh, um, in awe of each other and loving each other. And even though we didn't speak the same language, we were speaking through an interpreter. And I got the impression he was sort of kind of a shaman, a, a local elder kind of guy, because these other guys are sitting around listening to him. Hmm. Um, but he just genuinely gave us his focus, his attention, and, and I would call it his love. And in the conclusion I kind of come to in the book is that he, that God was in him and, and the thing was, the surprised person at the table was me, not him. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> that, that he wasn't surprised by all this. This was normal for him, but it wasn't normal for me. And so that was, that was humbling to me. Hmm. 
I think it's interesting that you found like that was where you found the adventure, right? Like you thought Mm -hmm. your adventure was going to be somewhere else and you thought you were going to go in and out of this tea shop real quick and easy. And yet you go in there and that's where you find this adventure that leads to a book. Yeah, that's right. And I I make a point in the book. uh, I think one of the chapters is called uh, adventures are unplanned. Yeah. And I talk about how back when I was a kid, me and my brother, uh, Monty, my next youngest brother, we would go looking for things to do. My mom would just let us go in the morning. We'd go do something and come back before supper. And she uh, let us go one day and we were finding crawdads down at the creek, <laughs> cryfish, whatever you want to call those. Yep. <laughs> um, so we'd turn over rocks and find crawdads and we we got enough of them and found an old bucket somewhere and we were going to take those to the bait shop and try to sell them, but they died on the way, but, mm. <laughs> but it was still an adventure. And so, so we're at that Taroko Gorge that I talked about. So the plan was take scooters and go to all these uh, tourist spots along the gorge. But because I wrecked the scooter, we couldn't do that. So we instead we took a bus to the gorge and then at that first tourist spot, instead of going on to the second tourist spot, we went down into the gorge. Mm. Paths and so on. It's a place people go, but we met some indigenous people down there. We bought some artifacts down there. We we go to, we see all this magnificent scenery. And then we end up down at the bottom of the gorge in this creek you know, that runs along the bottom of the gorge. And here I am again, uh, in this place that just so deeply resonated with me is that creek where we found the crawdads. Mm. Thinking, um, yeah, this is, and I remembered, you know, what kind of what I knew as a kid, Mm. that adventures are unplanned, Mm. you know, and adventures are made up as you go. And you just follow the path wherever it leads. Mm. And, and I mean, I literally just had to sit down when I got to the bottom of that gorge. My son, my son was with me. My son is out in the middle of the Creek, just wandering around and I can almost see my brother there, you know, mm. just wipe me out. But yeah, adventures are unplanned there. Mm. That's the nature of an adventure. And I think we forget that when we grow up, you know, I think it's uh it's important to remember too, I think, just in, in your life in general, is that we often want to plan out our lives. You know, we have this vision for what our life is going to look like when, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we graduate high school, we graduate college, whatever. I'm going to, this is what I majored in. This is going to be my profession. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to buy a house. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be doing this thing for the majority of my life. And then so often we want to stick to that plan so much that when something else comes, it could be an adventure that could lead to something much different. We quickly dismiss it as a distraction from the bigger right. plan that we have. And I think for myself, mm-hmm. and I know you have a similar story, you know, having grown up in the church and having gone to school and to seminary to be a pastor. Like I look back on the time that I spent, you know, in the pulpit, the time that I was a pastor. And I think that had I, had I dismissed the adventurous moments that came my way to stick to the plan that I had when I was in seminary, mm-hmm. I would have missed a lot. And you and yeah. I would not be having this conversation right now. Right. So right. I think that's a really great point that you bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you sent me an advanced copy of the book and uh, thank you. Uh, I love yeah. it very much and um, I enjoyed it. It really took me deeper into this um, topic that uh, I've become increasingly interested in over the last year. And that's the topic of uh, mysticism, and in particular, uh, mystical Christianity. And so I wanted to start there with some questions. Um, chapter one is actually entitled Into the Mystic. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the first page, you say something I thought was funny because it, it was the same for me. You said, the, the tradition I come from doesn't talk very much about the mystical. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I understand that 100% because you know, I grew up in the conservative evangelical world. And the idea of a mystic, even even today, you know, initially brings to mind like a sorcerer, you know, or like mm-hmm. a yeah. like a witch, or maybe like Gnosticism or something like that. Right. Um, a secret knowledge, and I realize, obviously, none of that has anything to do with the word mysticism. And so, 
I was wondering if it could help us uh, maybe wrap our fingers around a working definition for mysticism. What is it? Um, in particular, what does it have to do with, with Christianity? Yeah, so I re- what I remember about that first chapter, and I don't have it in front of me, but what I remember is that I talked about Van Morrison's song, Into the Mystic. You did, yeah. And, and the thought there, kind of in the front and the, bit, the end of that chapter, is that uh, the poets and the prophets talk in a way that's not real specific. Mm. They talk in a way um, because sometimes the things they were writing, they didn't fully understand. Mm. And I think any good poet, whether it's Bob Dylan or Van Morrison or, you know, any of the poets you can think about when they write a song, it's, it's, it's what they're experiencing. Yeah. They can't quite explain it, but there's a longing in them to try. And the tradition that I grew up in dismissed or minimalized experience because you can't trust your experience was what they would say. Mm. But mystical, mystical spirituality says that your experience is where you learn. And I, I had the privilege right in the middle of all while I'm trying to un- understand that I was going through a, a spiritual formation thing with with the Benedictine nuns in Atchison, Kansas, um, where we were being trained to be spiritual directors. And they had a speaker that had spent his life uh, trying to understand mystical spirituality. And I, you know, I think real simply more than anything, it's, it's, it's applying your practices and then allowing yourself to experience what sometimes you can't fully explain, but what what deeply resonate with you, mm. and and he, you know, I, I did my best to to translate what he told me that day and and recapture that in the book, and I still can't, you know, couldn't tell you word for word, but it involves experience, you know, it involves, um, you know, experiencing God in a tea shop experiencing God at the bottom of the gorge, you know, and it's, it's, that's where I learn what, you know, it's, it's like my, you know, my wife that she talks about at the end of my first book. And she talks about all the time about when she, when she, when my granddaughter was born, holding that baby and experiencing love, like she had never known, even for mm-hmm. our children, because you know, it is, when you have children, you're busy and you're tired and you're worn out. But when you have grandchildren, yes. <laughs> what you're going to find one day when you have grandchildren is you're not as tired. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can walk in and experience that. And she experienced love like she had never experienced before. And, mm-hmm. and she understood for the first time what maybe what God's love is really like. Mm. You know, not what I've been trained in my head to think. But what I know somewhere deep inside me that I can't quite explain, and and that's the whole thing is the you know I kind of wrap up that chapter, talking about the mist, the poets and the prophets, even the prophets of the Bible. We say you know I I don't know if I can explain this very well, but this is what I experienced. Hmm. This is what I this is kind of to the best of my ability. This is how I can explain it to you. Um, but in that uncertainty, in that mystery, in that paradox, I think that's where you find maybe what we call truth. So know? would it be fair to say then that like uh, a mystic maybe has the um, ability to experience the divine or to experience God in the midst of everyday life situations that some people might take for granted? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. if, if, if they're comfortable with mystery, you know, hmm. and if you're comfortable with a little uncertainty and if, if you can um, let yourself just be there without having to intellectually be able to define it all. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the book was birthed, um, like you said, out of this um, experience that you had in um, the tea shop where you encountered this, this man who, who taught you a lot about 
a lot about a lot of things, I guess. And I, I want to read uh, real quick for our listeners um, a part okay. of the introduction from your book and just ask you if you could um, expand on it a little bit. But you say this, um, I hope that I can learn to slow down and be the kind of person I witnessed that night. I hope I can find the time to be present with people and share my food with them. I want to take time to love instead of just serving myself. Maybe I can remember to say something kind to the next service industry employee that I encounter. I imagine Jesus to be a lot like the man with no name, even though this gentleman probably wasn't a Christian. Wait, wasn't Jesus? Jesus wasn't a Christian either, but I can't wait to visit him the next time I go to Taiwan. So I know you talked a little bit about um, this guy, but maybe take us back into the tea shop that night and um, talk to us a little bit more about this guy that you encountered and specifically how does, how does your experience with him tie into what you just shared with us about, about mysticism? Like how do the two go hand in hand? So the best I can explain this guy, he was probably 60 years old, um, but he kind of moved like a teenager. He was, <laughs> he was uh, full of life. Mm. Um, but, but I think more than anything, what moved me is that he was concerned um, and interested in me. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, not in an egotistical kind of way, not like, wow, I'm glad he paid attention to me and, you know, made me feel important. But mm. all those things were true. He did make me feel important and he did pay attention to me. Um, but like I said before, that it was the fact that he delighted in being with me, mm. you know, and uh, I always, Laura used to accuse me of flirting with our waitresses at restaurants. And I would say, you know, I just don't want anybody messing with my food and she wants a good tip. So we're, we're working on this thing together. <laughs> but, um, you know, I hope it's more than that. You know, I hope that, that we can slow down. And this guy certainly did. Mm. You know, uh, the same thing happened earlier um, while we were on the south side of the island. There was a, we went to a Buddhist restaurant and it was literally closed. Um, they'd kind of left their door open or something. And my son talked to them in Mandarin and they opened back up. And their whole family came out and served us like a four course meal. And they brought us out dishes that we didn't ask for and said, try this. And, you know, <laughs> um, their whole family and extended family were interested in us. And, and they mm -hmm. took that time um, to invest in us. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I doubt that they made that much money from, you know, all the food that they brought out and so on. They may not have made any money from mm. it in the guy in the tea shop we weren't paying him a lot for those teapots um but he spent an hour and a half mm. you know just investing time in us and i, mm. I think that's important right yeah and so the least i can do in our faster paced society and who knows if that's not going to change after all this stuff happens right yeah, maybe our society will change, but um, why can't I take at least enough time to call the waitress by name, mm. or you know what I mean, or yep. ask her a couple of questions, or ask him a couple of questions, or at least be kind to them, right? Yeah, um, it it just deeply affected me in that way, mm. where I I don't think. You know, I'm introverted. I'm, I don't say a lot, those kind of things. That, that may never change about my personality, but can I at least um, be more invested in them as a person? I like that. I think what you're talking about in the, in the tea shop, as I'm, as I'm listening to your story, is something that I feel like I learned when I went to work for Apple. So I've been working for mm -hmm. Apple for it'll be 10 years in December and things have changed a lot, you know, over the course of the last 10 years. Like when I got there, Steve jobs was still alive and running the company and mm -hmm. he has since passed away and things have changed a lot. But one of the things that I remember when I first got there was 
you know, I went in thinking, well, I'm just going to sell computers and, you know, iPhones were becoming a big thing back then, iPads. I'm just going to go and sell this stuff, you know, and we're going mm-hmm. to make money. Mm-hmm. And I remember they, they did a thing like in the very early, in the early time that I was there where if a comp- customer came in to buy a computer, you weren't allowed to have that computer brought out to you until you went to the manager and the manager would ask you, what's the name of your customer? Um, mm-hmm. They would ask you, what does your customer do for a living? Mm-hmm. They might ask you, how many kids does your customer have? They mm-hmm. might ask you, what color pants is your customer wearing? Right. And right. They, wanted you, they wanted to make sure that you were getting to know the person in front of you, that you were giving them an experience in the Apple store, not just selling them a product and sending them out the door. And mm-hmm. so I remember that was something that I really, I've really come to value over the last 10 years is that I deal with a lot of people uh, on a regular basis because sometimes we have hundreds of people, you know, I deal with hundreds of people in a day, you know, especially during holiday time when it's busy, busy, busy. But am I taking the time to get to know the person in front of me? Like I don't work off commission. Mm-hmm. So whatever you buy, doesn't benefit me anything right. at all. But can I get to know you and can I do something to make, put a smile on your face and make your day better? So. Yeah, and that you know, you could say, well, that that's good for business, but but it's it's also the human yeah. thing to do. It's right. also the in, if you want to say it, it's the godly thing to do. Yes, that to be interested in someone else, yep. to um, deeply care about them. And the word you know that I used before with the guy in the tea shop was delight that somehow we could learn to delight in each other. Mm. And I still don't know exactly what that means, but I, I th- I'm deeply interested in it that, that if we can learn to delight in each other, mm. we won't be as interested in arguing with each other. We could say, well, that guy is Islamic, but you know, what does that mean? Mm. And can I delight in him can i love him can i be interested in him can i Mm. spend some time with him or do i just want to dismiss him as other Mm. go and get on down the road and do what benefits me so i i think those are the you know those are the kind of things kind of questions that we should be asking that we should be trying to trying to probe deeper yeah i think if we can recognize that you know, on the, on the most basic level, we have all been created. We're all infused with the same divinity, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. the, the divine has created each of us, and regardless of what our cultural background might be, what our, our gender, our sexuality might be, what our experience might be, the shared experience that we have is that we're human. And so mm-hmm. I think that if we can recognize that, you know, you, you put your pants on the same way that I do, uh, we both breathe the same, the same air. I think that there's a real commonality there that can allow us to build a bridge to the other. And I think, you know, to honor when, when, when we do that, the divine in me honors the divine in you and yeah. likewise. Yeah. yeah. Namaste. Right. Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit about a topic you bring up uh, later on in your book and it's called the process of unknowing. Okay. And I don't know about you, but, for me, like this has been, I would say the most uh, difficult, maybe painful part of my deconstruction, uh, reconstruction process, because there are like so many things that I was once 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt certain about that mm-hmm. I now feel like I, I no longer have any or maybe very little grip on at all. And, and the biggest one for me, kind of especially this time of year as we're, as, as we're talking, we're coming up on Easter. Um, is is the cross right? And like, why mm. why did Jesus die? And from the second grade, like all the way through seminary, you know, I was taught, you know, Jesus died to save me from my sins. Super simple. Sin needs to be punished. Jesus took the punishment. Now I get to go to heaven when I die if I believe those things. Mm-hmm. And like two years ago, I can remember being in literally like a full blown panic. I mean, sweating at night, having nightmares because. I voiced out loud that I didn't really believe all of those things mm-hmm. anymore, but yet I still believed in God and Jesus. And I remember all, a lot of people from my old tribe, like pressing me like, well, if it doesn't mean that, then what does it mean? 
you know, well, why did he die then? Well, what do you believe? You know, and like, right. almost like putting me up against a wall and like grilling me in that process of not knowing hmm. and trying to unknow all that I had known up to that point was so overwhelming to me. And I can remember mm-hmm. like I was tweeting people like Brian McLaren because I had read a lot of his books and, I, and he was very nice enough to, to answer my tweets and to mm-hmm. kind of help me a little bit. But I remember I was tweeting him and asking him like all of these, all these questions, trying to be certain again about my beliefs that had been shifting. But then mm-hmm. like one day I can remember becoming really comfortable with just not, not knowing. Like, I mean, you know, two years later, I have some thoughts about how I might answer those questions. But even so, like when people ask me those questions today, I'm fairly comfortable with sometimes saying like, I don't believe what I used to believe, but I'm on a journey mm-hmm. to believing something new. I really don't have the answers to your questions. I don't have 3000 Bible verses to back up what I think or why I think right. that way. Right. Um, but I'm happy to talk with you about it. Like it's been a, a terrifying but freeing journey. So I'm wondering, you know, what has unknowing and not knowing been like for you? And how does that tie into, um, again, your experience that you talk about um, in this book? Yeah, I, I think unknowing, to me, if I can be real simple about it, helps me to be able to expand. It mm. helps me be able to grow. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a novel right now that's out by Choir, my publisher. It's pre, pre-release. I don't want to say anything about it, but... Mm. Um, it's it's a guy's journey through that and he was in a narrow real narrow belief system he was in a reform school and some things like that and i when i listened to that i told my wife today that's uh it's it's kind of hit me kind of hard because that some of the parts of that story tie real closely to my childhood Mm. and I, you know, for 20 years as a pastor, I was in a real narrow belief system. And I was real comfortable with that belief system. And I would use words like assurance and Mm. um, I'm confident. And, but I I didn't like too many questions. Mm. You know, teenagers would, in college age, people would, email me questions and it was all right up to a certain point but i don't want to investigate any further and so <laughs> when i began to unknow like you talk about it's 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 pretty frightening at first that i'm i'm letting go of something that that i'm certain about i use the word certain and certainty a lot i'm i'm very certain about it but when i begin to let that certainty go go it's a little frightening at first but uh, I mean, even in, in, in secular um, coaching and things like that, you talk about the everything you want on the other side of your fear. Mm. And there's another book that I've written for the future um, about leaning into, and part of it's leaning into your fear. Unless we lean into that fear, uh, we're never really going to find the truth. We're never going to open up. And... Mm. And having that unknowing, having that um, allows me, I think, to tap into that deeper um, knowing. Mm. I think there's something I'm exploring right now about the knowing that's inside of us. And there is, there's an eternal wisdom, a deep knowing that's inside of us. Uh, the divine that's inside of us, whatever, you know, there's a lot of words for that, right? The invincible preciousness, the Mm. the mortal diamond. When, when you let go of your mind centered um, certainty that I know and I'm right and you're wrong and sit down, you know, when you get rid of that intellectual knowing um, and say, you know, I really don't know. Then, then, then we're we're kind of open. We're ready to tap into that thing that's deeper inside of us. That that's more eternal. That's a deeper wisdom. That's a deeper knowing uh, that we can tap into. There's a great uh, new book out um, called Untaming. It talks about that. Remember that verse that says, "Be still and know that I'm God." Yeah. Uh, she used a word and she was talking about that called sinking. Mm. 
I said, why is he using that word? And then I looked up the Hebrew for be still, you know, right there in that Psalms 46. And, and it's literally be still, or it's literally sink mm. or rest, right? And, and rest, when we rest in kind of that, that unknowing, then we, we access a deeper knowing that's within us. And um, I've, I've got some contemplative friends that are way wiser than me <laughs> that I'm learning so much about that. And again, it's like the poets and the prophets, you know, that I was talking about before. Uh, so, so much of it is so hard to explain, mm. um, but it's so much deeper, so much richer than what I had before. And so I think there's a lot. Of, yeah. I think there's a lot of, of truth in that because um, I'm thinking on my own, my own journey. And I feel like the more that I've come to not know and the more that I've come to unknow, I feel like the closer I've grown mm. to God. Like, I feel like today I have so many questions and mm-hmm. like, I was that guy who, you know, like in seminary practically memorized my systematic theology book, you know, like yeah. I, yeah. I knew that thing, like inside it out, I had the answers. I was, I was the answer guy, you know? And yeah. when you go to the, when you were a pastor, like people look at you as the answer guy. So like you right. should have, you better have all the answers kind of thing, you know? And, and so right. like I, in a sense, almost prided myself on that. And now, and I always felt like I was super close to God and, and I was close to God in a sense, but mm-hmm. now I feel like I've stripped away a lot of those things. All the things I thought I had answers to, I don't have answers to. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like I have gained access to um, the divine. I've gained access to God, to truth in a way that I never have before. So I think that there's real yeah. wisdom there in what you're saying and that we often feel like when we were unknowing and not knowing that our faith is falling apart, but I think that our faith is actually getting deeper and it's, it's expanding. Deeper. That's yeah. a good word for it. Yeah. 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 Hmm. That's right. I like that. So in your book, um, you talk obviously all about mysticism, life of a mystic. Um, so going back to your earlier definition, like what does it look like? Talk to the listener who, who maybe is really intrigued by what you're saying. Like, what is it, what is it, what does it look like for somebody to get more serious about um, being a mystic or um, thinking mystically? Like they work a nine to five job, they're a stay-at-home mom, maybe they're a full-time mm-hmm. student. What does it look like for the average everyday person to jump into this and kind of learn this kind of spirituality? Yeah, I would, there's probably some things you could read and probably some things we could point you to, but I, but I think most importantly for me at least it was um around one word and that's stillness Mm. that um my you know my mo was of a i think i wrote about that yesterday was like a doer you know and even encouraged by christianity to be doers the word not just hearers Mm -hmm. right so but my thing has always been even as an introvert that i'm a doer i'm a you know, I want to be active. I want to be doing something. And, and more than anything, it's just, it's just stopping, you know, mm. and spending an hour and a half in a tea shop instead of just making the purchase and getting out and getting on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, it's being still. Mm. Um, contemplative prayer is something I've learned. Mm. And contemplative prayer suggests that you have a word, right? And so my word is stillness, right? Um, a lot of times I say, be still, know that I'm gone. Mm. Um, you know, stop. You, you got to stop. You know, it's, it's not something you attain by finesse. Mm. It's not something you attain by effort or, or, or setting the right goals or being, having the right purpose as we promoted not to distant past but Mm. it's it's just being still Mm. and it's just um that whole lesson of contemplative prayer that i'm not expecting anything there's no result that i want to get out of this i'm not asking for anything i'm just Mm. being and so a book that i'm writing for in the future is just simply called being Mm. just be (laughs) Yeah. And to, I think to Americans and especially American Christians, that sounds like a cop out, yeah. but it's not. Yeah. Um, it's really where it's at. 
that, that we need to be, we just need to be, we need to be still. I think there's great, there's great power in that. I think back to, I think of my own, my own prayer life, for example, like it's one of the things I've struggled with a lot in my, my deconstruction is, is prayer because, you know, you mentioned earlier about having quiet time in the morning and, you know, your morning devotions. And it was always, Mm -hmm. it's always about doing something, you know, Mm -hmm. like I have Mm -hmm. to, I have to sit down. I have to read X amount of my Bible. I need to maybe read this devotional or read an excerpt of this commentary. I have my journal. I need to write in my journal. I need to say my prayers, you know, I need to do these mm-hmm. things. It's always about doing. And yeah. I've recently become interested in well as well in this idea of contemplative prayer. And I think it was Mark Karras actually who challenged me mm. um, to try to pray, but with no words. I love him. I love him, right? by the way. Yeah. yeah. Like just just sit and just be and mm. focus on a word, whether it's peace, you know, whether it's love, whatever it is. And every time you mm. find your mind getting distracted with, I, I need to do this or whatever, bring your mind back to that word. And mm. just in that time, know that your spirit is interacting with the Holy Spirit and that you're yeah. communing with God. And it's just, that just like totally blew my mind that that could be mm. prayer. Like, I mean, I don't have to have the right words. I don't have to say the right things. I don't have to, you know, read this amount of my Bible. Like, it's just like you said, just to, just to sit there and just to be it's such a powerful, powerful, energizing thing. And those um, on the Desert Sanctuary, we started a couple of groups called Contemplative Companions. Mm. And it's just and when we ask questions to people, we'll do a meditation and then we ask people questions, but then we let them respond. And then it's interesting what a contemplative does when they're asking questions is they just go, hmm, mm. yeah, hmm. Mm. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's hard when we try to lead one of those groups, you know, in a regular church or because people so quickly want to solve people's problems mm. and we want to answer them real quickly and give them relief or something, you know, Yeah. but, but sometimes we just need to listen mm. and I always ask people, what's, you know, what's, what would you change about the world? And my answer to that question is always, we need to listen. Mm. We, we need to listen more and listen more deeply, which is what the nuns taught me in Atchison. So anyway. I think too, that whole idea that we talked about earlier of you know, not having a plan and the adventure mm-hmm. kind of comes when you let go of your plan. I think we can take that even into our, our prayer time. When we go into yeah. our prayer time with a plan, mm-hmm. with an agenda, sure. We might miss the adventure of just sitting there and being still, yeah. and just letting whatever unfold, unfold. Yeah. Just, just being. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. So last yeah. question before I let you go. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about your book? Maybe that didn't come up in our conversation, something that's burning on your heart, maybe a favorite piece, um, anything that you want to leave them with? No, I'd just say the. I mean, right now, I don't know. This will probably be released after April or whatever, but... Yep, probably sometime in uh, May. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> yeah, we just don't know exactly when it's coming out. I'd, I I would invite you along. Every Everyone that reads my first book, when I say, what'd you like the best? And they always say that chapter about the tea shop. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so, so I've waited, oh, man a long time for this to come out mm. 18, 18 months, which is maybe it's maybe normal when a book comes out, mm. but I've waited patiently for this to come out. And I, I just, I know you're going to love it. Um, not because I'm a great writer, not because, you know, there was something really highly intellectual that I discovered, but just that, that I think this is the real deal. I think, yeah. This is where it's at. Yep. Um, and, and other people that I know have discovered bits and pieces of this, just like I've discovered some bits and pieces. And I, I'd love for you to experience it. I'd love for you to, to get a taste of what we experienced that night about two years ago. Yeah. Um, it's, it changed my life. It changed mm. the way I see people. Uh, changed the way I view my religion, and 
I'd love for you to experience it with me. Absolutely. And for our listeners, like Carl said, we're not 100% sure uh, when it's going to release. But when it does, um, Carl, I will blast it over social media. And um, I will, if this episode releases before the book, I will update the show notes later uh, and put the link in there so people can go and they can buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, uh, this has been a wonderful chat. And uh, real quick, where can people find you online? If they want to ask you some questions. Yeah, I'm having a little trouble now with my my website. My website is called Desert Sanctuary. It's desert-sanctuary.com. I'd love for you to go out there and, and get engaged with that and, mm. and subscribe to it. Uh, I have a Facebook page called The Desert Sanctuary. I'm having trouble like posting t- to my thing. Some kind of mm. algorithm's messed up and they think I'm spamming or something like that. So, Uh-oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I am in trouble. Um, so I have, you know, it's called the Desert Sanctuary on Facebook. Um, you can get to most things from there or uh, desert-sanctuary.com on, um, on the internet. That's where my blogs and, and, and of course, um, since... Glenn's iTunes, um, on, you know, on iTunes and things like that. You can find the desert sanctuary out there. It's got a picture of a flower in case you have trouble finding it. (laughs) Um, that's, you know, that's where most of my stuff kind of ends up. Beautiful. Well, again, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes and, uh, Carl, I look forward to talking to you again. All right, man. Thanks. All right, bud. Stay safe. Yeah, one and up. Yo, drop it, drop it.
Work.